Right. How's it going? You guys have a good time of worship? Okay. So what we're going to do is uh, I'm going to introduce something to you tonight that we're going to be doing for a couple of weeks, maybe months. don't know how this is going to be going. But what we are going to do is, is and I'll try and stand behind the mics, so the speakers, so that they don't feedback. But I want to ask you guys a question. Who's ever heard something that guys have said in the church that you don't understand? Like the word, let's throw the word accountability out there. Who knows exactly what accountability means? (laughs) All right. Who knows what boundaries mean? What's a boundary? What's a boundary? Ingrid? A short leash. Alrighty, cool. I need a leash to behave myself. So there's lots of things that we, as people in the church, we say as leaders and, and guys that lead churches and church planters, and you sit in a conference, for instance, like a 412 conference, and like the guys like Andrew and the guys are preaching about stuff, and you're like, what? What's that? There's a lot of those terms in, in, in the church that people don't actually understand. So, so what we're going to do is for the next couple of months and working through things, we are going to do practical discipleship. Who knows what that is? What's discipleship? It's not disciples in a ship. <laughs> discipleship is actually understanding what it is and how, what it means to actually live the Christian life. So how do I behave when people don't see me? So I want to ask you this thing. So I'm going to throw a couple of statements out, and then I want you guys, I'm going to, this is going to become interactive. All right, are you guys with me? Okay, right. So number, statement number one is this. Discipleship is something that I can do by myself, just Jesus and me. Who's ever thought that? Okay, so I can, eh? You thought it, but who's actually ever got it right? So, for instance, if you struggle with something in your life and you try and deal with it on your own, do you get it right or do you fall back into a place of maybe sinning again with a habitual sin? For instance, Colin loves the word fudge, all right? So, he uses fudge every single day, but then Marion has spoken to him and said, Colin, you can't use the word fudge anymore because it's not good. The kids are going to hear you and they're going to start using it as well. So then Colin says, okay, well, I'm going to be discipled by Jesus. It's me and him, so I'm not going to use fudge anymore. And so Colin's sitting at home and he's busy making fudge. And suddenly a piece splashes onto his arm and he's like, oh, fudge. That's cool emphasis. I love that. All right? So what it does is he's gone and he's sinned again. So what is the first thing that happens to him? Is he's like, oh, oh, I've done it again. And then eventually he starts losing faith in the Lord because he thinks that Jesus isn't there to help him. But actually, discipleship has got nothing to do with you. Because you know the unholy trio. You know what that is? 
Me, myself, and I. Because I try to do things on my own. Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. And what happened to Frank Sinatra? Didn't go well, right? And I've locked myself out. I can see my daughter's been on my laptop. There's all sticky stuff everywhere. Right. So, discipleship. Fact number one is discipleship is relational. To be obedient to the Great Commission, we need to be disciples who are making disciples of Jesus. And a disciple is someone that copies what their teacher is saying, and they take it, and they actually copy it, and they live it. So that's what the Bible says to us. In Matthew 28, it actually speaks about where Jesus says to them, go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel. But what does he say after that? He says, then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So what does that mean to teach? It's to show, to disciple, all right? So that's what discipleship really is. So number two, my statement is discipling others is too complicated. I think we need to get some professionals to do it. Who's ever felt like that? When you talk to someone, they're like, nah, I don't know if this, I think I need to get a psychologist involved. All right? To try and help you deal with this stuff because it's too much. But you see, my fact number two is discipling others is actually not as complicated as we think. Fishermen and tax collectors who had no formal theology actually did it. They took people and they taught them what they saw and what they learned of Jesus, and they took it and they made it laugh inside of it. So discipleship is actually easy. You know that parents, we actually disciple our kids. Because your kids look at you, and they don't do what you say, they do what you do. Right? Fact number three. Discipleship is a programming church. So it's another course that we're going to start on a Thursday night. Anybody like courses? Sitting through courses for weeks? No, bro, you're just different. All right? Who likes to have another meeting one night of the week? No one. Everyone wants to be home watching soapies, all right? So, fact number three is this, is that discipleship is not a program, it's a lifestyle. Every Christian should live a lifestyle of discipleship all the time. So we live this thing. It becomes who we are, because when it becomes lifestyle, then we start growing. So what we're going to do next week, so this week is just the introduction for you guys that are here. So next week, we're going to start on lesson one, and we're going to start talking about values, because you see, we teach values without even trying it, because people look at what we do, and then they believe what we believe. It's interesting, huh? Are you guys okay? Is it making sense? Are you guys at least excited like I am? Okay. I'm glad someone, but you recently married, so you're excited anyway. Right. So number four, my statement is, making disciples is fine if you find it fulfilling. Who's ever felt like that? I'll help someone if, I, if it's cool for me. Hey? 
When I was a young guy, a single guy, whenever, like families used to invite me, you know, like there was lots of older ladies that used to invite the single guys, you know, and like a whole bunch of us to go and actually have dinner with them. It was very fulfilling, you know, when we went and visited them. But it's not that kind of fulfilling that we're looking for. We're looking for where we give our lives to others so that they can become more like Jesus, right? Okay? So if we totally buy into our cultural value of busyness, discipleship will not take place. We must value the things of God and we make, must make room for discipleship. Many people have a view of Christianity like this. This is my life, I have my family, I have my job, and then Jesus and the church gets plucked on on the side. Right? Some people do. But what we need to do is we need to change our focus by making Jesus and the kingdom of God the center and everything else revolves around that. Your job, your family, everything else is around Jesus. And the thing is, when we catch that and it becomes life to us, then church will no longer be boring for you. It will be excited, exciting. You won't be able to wait to get to a Sunday service. You wouldn't be able to get to a comm meeting. And by the way, Wednesday night is corporate prayer, yeah. So we're not having comm, we're having prayer. And the thing is, when we come together, it becomes an, a, a passion and excitement. When we go to a global gathering with our congregation and everyone else that we're a part of, it's not like, oh, now I've got to drive all the way to Cape Town again. It's like, yes, I can't wait to get there. Who am I going to pick up? Who's going to go with me? Because I want to be there. Because I go and I share with the people. Statement number six. Is discipleship can be accomplished through Christian fellowship. You guys agree with that? Right? It says, discipleship is actually intentional. It's time invested in a few people on purpose, and that's how Jesus did it. So it's not just fellowship having a bride together. Discipleship takes work. Discipleship is actually getting into someone's life and finding out who they actually are. That's discipleship. That's teaching and training and equipping someone. This leash is starting to work on my nerves. Right. So there's three key components to discipleship. Okay, so I've got to the introduction piece. Now I'm introducing more. Are you guys okay? Right. I haven't preached for a couple of weeks. That's why I'm going crazy like this. Right. So the first thing is relationship. In Matthew 4, verse 18 to 20, Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Jesus went and called guys, and he actually took three years and invested into their lives. Imagine us sitting here tonight for, let's say, maybe there's 30, 40 people. Could be more. I don't know. Who, has anyone counted the number of people yet? Hey? 39. Right. So there's 39 people sitting in this room tonight, and we've got about 39 not here tonight. Okay? So if we go 
and we disciple two people each. So let's make it a round number easy because I'm not great at math. So let's make it 40, all right? So we're 40 people discipling two people. How many people would it be that you discipled? Yes. Each and every single person here disciples two people. It's added onto our 40, so it becomes 120. The simple invitation changed their lives, the lives of other disciples and later the world. This invitation, come follow me, is rooted in a very simple truth. Discipleship happens in the context of relationship. That's how discipleship happens. That's how you walk with people if you actually know them. And I must be honest, when a church and a congregation starts growing, it's difficult for guys to have one-on-one relationship, like for like Nolan and myself and, and some of us, it, it's tough to get to everyone. But that's why we've created communities. That's why Enver and Lizette lead a community, and they've got about 10 people in their community, right? Colin and Marion, they lead a community. They've got about 9 or 10 people in their community. And Evie and Tarina's got one, and Philip and Anilo, they've got so that what happens, we can carry the load between each and every single one of us to be able to walk together. But discipleship is not just leaders teaching you, it's you teaching one another. In the three years following their initial call to follow, Jesus, the disciples, following Jesus, the disciples grew in their relationship with him, as well as their relationship with one another. Jesus went and he poured his life into his disciples. He spent 24 hours a day with them. Imagine spending 24 hours a day with the guys in this room. Would be challenging, wouldn't it? Because you'll see things of other people that they will know. Like for me, in the office where I work, Marion works with me every day. Marion sees things that none of you can actually see. She sees when I get frustrated. My wife comes to the office. She sees when I'm really taking a lot of pressure. She sees that stuff. Marion sees that on a daily basis. But he poured into them. He, get in, he got involved in their lives. What does it mean to get involved in someone's life? So Keeman and Akito got married recently. Okay? That's how many weeks ago now? Three. Three weeks. So, it's almost a month. Is it a month? A month. And you survived. Well done. Right. So, stand up for me quickly. You two, stand up for me. It's not jammy pants. It looked like the jammy pants that I saw the other night. So I was like, yo, you're comfortable, bro. <laughs> Pajama horse. Okay. That's a new term. Colin, you'll have to edit this, bro. So anyway, so if, I, if we look at this couple now, they got married recently. Do you think they would have gotten married with each other if they didn't know each other? No? Okay, if the parents didn't arrange marriage, do you think then it obviously wouldn't have gone well? So, but if Nikita never met this man, and he never met her, and they never started getting involved in each other's lives, there would not have been any relationship, right? 
Does it make sense? So for each one of us here tonight, we needed to get involved in each other's lives to be able to actually build a friendship and a relationship. So for them, he had to work really, really hard. He had to get past the parents, especially the dad. And because he's on a farm, he tend to one dug a lot of like really shallow graves to prepare himself for the day that he gets married, right? But he's invested his life into this relationship. So he's not just going to walk away from it. Keeman's going to fight for this. He's going to fight for Nikita because if someone comes in the way, yeah, he's going to fight me because he wants to stay with her. And that is what it means to be in someone's life. You fight for that relationship. You fight for that opportunity to be able to build that relationship and friendship with them. You guys can sit. Thanks. Does it make sense what I'm saying? I know I'm driving this thing tonight, but I want you guys to understand the concept behind it. All right. So Jesus knew their personalities, their weaknesses, and their strengths. And he even knew the areas where they needed to develop, where they needed to grow. Like Simon Peter, he was like this brash oak. It was like, I'm going to do this. And what did Jesus have to do? He had to cut off the edges on Simon Peter to make him the man that he called him to be. And right at the end, what did the Bible say? What did he say? He said, on this rock, I will build my church. Because Peter was shaped in the way that God wanted him to be the most effective man he could be. He got up and he preached and 3,000 got saved. Imagine. Imagine that happens. But the thing is, it comes down of taking what we know and passing it on to others. Training ourselves so that we can walk the Christian life. In addition to being intentional, Jesus made himself available. Are you available for people to actually speak into your life? And are you available for you to talk into their lives? Are you available? Are you open? Are you willing? It's not just a casual relationship. It's an actual intentional relationship. So how do we do this? No matter how spiritually gifted you are or how much theology you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. You can know this Bible from front to back. Who's ever read the Bible here from the beginning to the end? Okay? You can read this thing a hundred times a year, this Bible. It can still mean nothing to you. But people's lives will be changed if you care about them. Willing to say, where are you at? What are you struggling with? Let's come to your home. Have you got enough meal? Like Philip and Analo. Philip almost went shopping in heaven for his plot. He went kudu hunting, but he decided that the gun didn't work. He tried the bark. It was much quicker and much more painful. He is listening, so he can hear me. But you see, the thing is, Philip almost got taken out 
He's back home. And I know in the last week or so, people have just been all over you guys like a hot rash, right? Phoning, are you guys okay? Have you guys got enough food? Are you guys sorted? Has Philip got enough blankies? Is he, you know, all those kind of things. Anna Law, are you okay? Are you coping? Do you need a break? We'll look after Philip. You go shopping. I don't know. Do whatever. Go for coffee somewhere. But I can tell you something. For them, when they were in Namibia, when Philip had his accident, what we did is, is we contacted the guys in the Namibian church. And we said to them, listen, Philip's up there. He was in an accident. Anna is going to be there. You know that that church went out of their way. They gave Anna free accommodation. They gave her a vehicle. They made sure that she was fed. And the church there didn't even know. They don't even know any one of us in this congregation. But they were willing to do it because they were actively willing to give themselves. Because you see, people don't care what you know. They care about how you care. What do you care? Do you care about them? Vulnerability is key. If we want people to share their lives with us, we need to share ours with them. But key to this is grace for both the good and the bad, the ugly and the pretty. What does it mean to be vulnerable? If I had to ask all the guys here tonight to stand up and take your shirt off, will you do it? Keeman will. He's brave enough. Right? But most of us don't feel like, whoa, uh, no, that, that's a little bit far. I'm not going to take my shirt off. Because why? what are people going to think about me? But vulnerability is actually doing exactly that. Taking your shirt off so people can actually see your scars, your battle scars, because we all carry them. We all have wounds that we carry, things that has happened in our lives, things that we have walked through that people don't even know. Many battles, many challenges that we face, which is under our clothing, many hurts. And vulnerability is actually opening yourself up and saying, this is who I really am. And you take them with the good and the bad, the ugly and the pretty. And you know what we do is we don't judge because we're not in the place to judge one another. We don't judge. No matter what your background is. Like I, everyone sitting here tonight has got a story to tell. Each one of us. Any comes from Secunda. He's got a story to tell. Because in Secunda, as willer as he wilts the vilte. Secunda is an interesting place. I grew up there. But you know what? Tonight, Henny has got stories to tell of a journey that he's walked. Everyone's sitting here. Carol has got a journey to tell. Carol's mom passed away recently at 100 years old. She has a story to tell. Warren has a story to tell. For the first time tonight, I saw Warren's driver's license. Do you guys know that this oak had the meanest beard I've ever seen? And I think it's super cool. And I said to him tonight, he must grow another one. Because you see, 
You see, each and every single one of us, maybe you must take out your license and pass it around, Bree, so everyone can see it. <laughs> Warren's going to be like, I'm never showing you everything, anything ever again. But you see, we all have a story to tell. We've all walked a journey. And when we're vulnerable with one another and we start sharing our lives with one another, what happens is we suddenly feel like we're not alone. Because how many people sit in a church every Sunday and they still feel alone? Because we're not sharing our hearts with people. And we've been preaching about this thing for months. Being vulnerable, being open, being accountable. But we, co we can teach about it. But we can only actually get it right if we start living it. Right. I've run so far against ahead of my notes. Right. The second key is God's Word. And I said to you earlier, you can read it. You can know it like the back of your hand. But if you actually don't implement it, it's pointless. So in Matthew 24, we see that Jesus teaches his disciples on the Mount of Olives, Olives. So he's teaching them about the fact that he's one day going to be going up and he's going to be returning. And what Jesus does is he takes them on this journey with him. He explains to them what's going to happen at the end of the age when he returns. And when we take scripture and we have a Bible verse or we do Bible study or we read something, we need to be able to take people on this journey so that they can understand what they're reading. Because how many of us actually read Scripture, but we don't understand it? It's like you start you're reading the Bible, and you're like, okay, I'm going to read, and you get to, like, I think it was Deuteronomy or somewhere, and it's like, this one begat that one, and that one begat that one, and that one begat that one, and so it just carries on, and you're like, oh, no, this is boring. But then somewhere in between, there's a little Scripture that catches your eye. Who knows the prayer of Jabez? This guy, he wasn't, he wasn't like a special oak at all. He didn't go and achieve and conquer battles and, and take enemies. He was just a single guy, and he prayed, and he said, Lord, I ask that you would bless me. In the middle of this whole chronological thing, just this little scripture pops out about Jabez, who asked the Lord to bless him. And the Bible says that God actually heard his prayer. And there's this thing that we use, it's called soap. Who likes soap? Who washes themselves with soap? I hope you do. All right? Smell on your arms just to make sure. Or smell the person next to you just to double check. All right? But we do soap. So, so how do we do soap? Is we take Scripture, we read Scripture, we quote Scripture, we, we, we start delving into Scripture for ourselves and with the people around us. Then what we do is, is we observe how the people in the Bible responded. Because you see, we can react to things, or we can respond to things. So Jesus, in the temple, he got there. These oaks were selling all kinds of stuff. They were selling doves. They were making money. Jesus could have just pulled out there, and he could have just hit everyone and gone crazy and chased them out. But the Bible says to us that actually Jesus went away. What did he do? He went and made a whip and prayed obviously. He made a whip and he went back and then he chased them out. 
Because you see, it's how we respond. It's not how we react. Because when we react in a situation, when we get frustrated and we react, what do we do? We end up hurting people. Because we get angry. And so it's our response. How do we respond? So we got scripture. We observe how the people in the Bible responded. The third one is application. How do I include what I've read in Scripture, what I've learned? How do I make it alive in me? How do I implement that, what I've just read? If you think in Scripture, Paul says, a whole bunch of times, he says to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, who can quote it for me? What does it say? 1 Timothy 4 verse 12 says, Let no one look down on you because you are young, but set an example to the believers in faith in life, in faith, and in purity. And until I come or return, read it in public. Okay, I'm just paraphrasing the last piece. But taking that in faith, in love, and in purity, how do I do that? How do I love those around me? How do I have faith to believe that God's going to come through to me, for me? And the third one is, how do I actually live in purity? Being pure. Today, when you, if, today, if you're no longer a virgin, you're like weird. It's like, if you are a virgin today, the world's like, what? What's wrong with you? But 40 years ago, if you weren't a virgin, it was like, what? What's wrong with you? Because you see, the world's idea has shifted. But how do we take that scripture and what we read in the Bible and it becomes life to us? That's what it means to become a disciple. That's what it means is taking what Jesus taught and making it a part of our lives. And number, f- number four is prayer. We need to ask the Lord to help us implement what we've just learned. Lord, help me because I cannot do it on my own. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, right? Right? Because the Holy Spirit is our comforter. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is there that before Colin says fudge, when he's had fudge on his arm, the Holy Spirit's like, Colin, watch what you're doing. And Colin's like, okay, cool, I get this. And we might stumble, we might fall, we might fail the test, not once, not twice, not three times, maybe ten times. But it's how we respond and we get up and we move forward into what God has for us. You see, in Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because God's word, when we start understanding it and we start living it, it starts transforming us. God's Word is a non-negotiable aspect of discipleship. We cannot make disciples without using God's Word as the basis. Because you see, if we try to make disciples without the Bible, without the principles, without that, that God is teaching us, we become legalistic. It's like using the law of the Sabbath. Moses writes, Right in the beginning in Exodus, he says that on the Sabbath day, you shall not work. You shall rest, right? So now, 
all the, the Jewish priests go and the Sadducees and the, the Pharisees. So what they do is, is they, they take that law, but they add to the law. So what has happened is from one law that Moses wrote, they've made over a thousand laws about the Sabbath. You're not allowed to switch a light on. You're not allowed to pick something from the ground. You're not allowed to even feed your cat because then that's regarded as work. And what does it do? It becomes legalistic because we become legalistic in our view. All right, you guys with me still? Making sense where I'm going? Right, almost there. Jesus took his disciples on a journey. And we need to make God's word everything in us. We need to make it the value. We must make it the foundation on everything we build. The third point is this. When we understand this, we'll be able to do ministry. Who understands ministry? What is ministry? Huh? What is ministry? The Bible says, and this is actually the dictionary says this, serving in the function of a priest by offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So is it my job? Huh? Why is it all of our jobs? Romans 12 verse 1 says the following, Do not Therefore I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. And the Bible calls us a holy what? Priesthood. So that means all of you oaks sitting here tonight are all priests with me. Got you. Each one of us. We are all priests in the kingdom of God. So it means that we all have to give our bodies like a living sacrifice to Him. So we're all in ministry. Not just me. We're all in ministry together. Because your life needs to be something that people can look at. Living it out. So how do we do this? By life modeling. We allow our disciples to see our hearts. And through this, they see how we live and their desire to become more like Jesus by modeling our lives to those around us. Because people don't catch what you say, they catch what they see. We need to take what we learn as disciples and we need to live it out and we need to teach others. We are all in full-time ministry. And tonight I'm going to end with a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who knows him? You guys know his story. He was a pastor in Germany who was involved in the resistance against Hitler. And somehow he got involved with this whole exercise and his name was on the paperwork. So Hitler actually hanged him and executed him. And this is what he says. Salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, 
but discipleship will cost you your life. And I want to encourage you guys tonight as we set out on this journey for a couple of weeks. I don't know how long this is going to be. But we're going to start dealing with practical things. Like next week, one of the things I'm going to be speaking about is justification and sanctification. Who knows what justification means? What does sanctification mean? Okay. So how do we, how do we live this? How do we do this? How do we live the actual Christian life? Because there's so many things that get said in the Christian faith and in the church, but we don't actually know it. And so we're going to do very practical stuff. We're going to work through this. This is going to be, we're going to delve deep into the values of what we believe. What are we standing for? How do we set boundaries in our lives? How do we help others with boundaries? How do we, how do we deal with offense in our own hearts? When someone offends you, how do you actually deal with it? How do we understand that stuff? Because it's our journey so that each one of you sitting here, in hopefully in a year's time, you can take someone else on this journey with you. Multiplying, growing, and encouraging them to be more like Jesus. Cool. Let's pray. Peter, would you come pray for us? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that we're two or more gathered in your name, that you are here. And as we listen to this um, sermon, Lord, and just to learn more about you, Lord, to practically want to be disciples for you, we ask you for your guidance in this and to teach us, Lord, each one of us, that we all have this desire just to be in your presence and want to follow um, Christ example that we will live by our Lord Jesus Christ's example. And Father, so as we go in the week, we ask you just to be with each one of us, Lord, as we go. And we, Some of us have it more difficult than others, Lord, that we can have this assurance, Lord, that you are with each one of us. We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we ask you this. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Remember, Wednesday night, corporate prayer, 7 o'clock here. We'd love to see all of you guys. Have a wonderful week. God bless.